This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Back of the Nest Review Show. Sponsored by Pitch Sport. Available to download on the App Store and Google Play. Pitchdmm.com. Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. In this episode, we look back at a controversial first defeat of the season for Palace against early pace setters Everton. Despite a spirited display, a baffling penalty award was decisive in the 2-1 defeat. On the show this week, you've got me, Chris Hambling. You've also got Nick Gillard. Watcher. Watcher, indeed, and Mr Mike Scott as well. All right. Uh, there appears to be some blue lights outside your uh, your house there, Mike. Very standard. No, nothing you did? I don't think so. Back of the Nest. Sponsored by Pitch Sport. PitchDMM.com. Well, all right, before we, um, well, hopefully Mike doesn't get carted off. Uh, but in the meantime, let's talk about what's coming up on the show. Uh, we'll be talking through um, our, our main thoughts around the tactical setup, team selection, and in game management. We'll be looking back at some of the key moments from the match itself, including that critical penalty decision. You'll be getting our views on how the players did, including our man of the match poll. And we'll be covering your questions and comments as we go throughout the show. And finally, we'll be ending with a quick chat on what to expect in the week ahead as the team prepare to face Chelsea next weekend. So a little bit of general chat first. And of course, we couldn't go much further without mentioning our sponsor. And that is Pitch Sport, Google Pitch Sport. Download their app and get involved around predictions, uh, lineup selections, and rating the manager and the team itself after the matches. Um, my code on there is KUGKUT if you want to add me. Um, and there's also chances to respond to videos. We've posed a question this week. Uh, DR poses a question most weeks, but you've got three of us for this one. Uh, so get involved with our, with our sponsor, Pitch Sport. Just Google Pitch Sport Football and download the app. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, we're on, we're just search for Back of the Nest on everything. Uh, rate and review us on your chosen podcast app, of course. Five stars, please. Um, and obviously, 
bit redundant, but to mention that we also are now on video and you can find that on our YouTube channel. Just search for Back of the Nest on YouTube, subscribe and like, and you'll get all of our content on there. DR puts a tremendous amount out and there's all sorts of stuff there. So it's um, well worth getting involved in that. So a quick chat with the gentleman, and I'm going to start with Mr. Mike Scott. And Mike, as you mentioned last time out, big day for you tomorrow. The album comes out. You excited? You know what? I haven't given it that much thought. Um, it, it sort of passed me by a little bit, but it's it's a weird one. I was saying before the show, like back, I say a decade ago, you'd spend three months with a promotion company beforehand, doing all the promotion, contacting people, interviews, that kind of stuff. Um, so now, a doing it ourselves, and b the Spotify era, it kind of has to come out, and then. Spotify might put you on their playlist, that kind of stuff. And then you do all the promotion after it's out. So, um, yeah, tomorrow I guess I'll be avoiding work and emailing various companies asking them to put news up. Um, unless my boss is listening, in which case I'll be doing that after work. Yeah, obviously, obviously. Um, and I did uh, – I, I had a little search on um, on Apple Music. I don't think you're, you're on Apple Music as a band. I couldn't find you on there. Lay it on the line. But I did find Mike Scott. And um, interestingly, you seem to have had a previous life as Mike Scott because there is an album that's definitely yours. Um, is it like it's Spanish, isn't it? Something like that. Something yeah. Muertes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then apparently you also released albums in 1995 and 1997. Um, when you were, what, 13 and 15? Yeah, when I was the singer in The Water Boys, yeah. I, <laughs> the, the amount of... So, I know that one of my one of my ex-labels um, managed about four reprints of that album on the back of, you know, three of them selling out to people that were Water Boys fans. Um, and they were very happy, you know, asking, asking for represses left, right and centre. Um, I even got invited to the Chocadero once to meet ITV under the pretense that I was the guy from The Water Boys. Um, <laughs> Can I can I say though your your solo work? I mean, I, I've heard Lay It on the Line, um, and I've heard a bit of uh, Phineas Gage as well. But I, I, your solo work was uh, was very folky, kind of. You know, that's it was a different kind of vibe than I expected. I really liked it. Just so you know. Yeah, I mean, it's got some it's got some uh, very to, very well to do famous musicians that I, I played on there with as well. So um, it's always that always makes it sound better than it would if it was just me. Well, there we go. Yeah, but thank you. Yeah, no worries. Anyway, we better talk to Nick because Nick's here and fresh from an appearance on the preview show, uh, you've now forced your way into this one. Um, yeah, yeah. What's going yeah, on about there? Time. About time. About time. I'm a bit tired. I've just been chasing the cat round. I've had a nice roast beef dinner <laughs> and um, I had a nice slice of beef on a plate on the toaster and I was going to have it before the show and the cat nicked it. <laughs> I was chasing the cat around the house trying to... Um, Chasing the cat round has to be a euphemism, surely. Chasing the cat <laughs> round for beef, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, I had to, I had to go without, um, and I had to have a marmite sandwich instead as my pre-show meal because <laughs> it's all we had left in the cupboard till Sainsbury's. I come mean, tomorrow. I don't know. I think Mike's brain has gone where my brain went there, but I'm going <laughs> to quickly move on. Uh, That's the yeast of like, your worries. Oh, there he goes. It's a um, it's a hard life sometimes, Nick, isn't it? So, it is. I've I've also been getting getting my head round uh, online teaching as well, which is good because it means if uh, even the kids or myself have got COVID, we I can still carry on working and earning a living. That's quite interesting. 
Um, that's good news. Yeah. But you're both right to ask how I am. I'm fine. Um, thanks. Uh, but I have just started. I know uh, producer Mikey has started the keto diet, and I started mine today. But I'm sort of doing a slightly different version. He's doing the version where you just continuously feed yourself with meat and cheese. Uh, and I'm doing a very low-calorie diet version. So I have consumed today um, lots of sort of space-style just-add-water meals. So I've had... Pot noodle? A be- a, mm, no, it's not allowed. Too many carbs, mate. Oh. So I had a, I had a berry uh, yogurt-style thing for breakfast. I had a cookies and cream bar for for lunch, and I had a salted caramel shake for for dinner. And that's and I was allowed a tin of tuna as well. So there you go. I mean, that that's, sounds alright. It just sounds like there's not a lot of it, but correct. So that is that is the main thing. What I would say as well is they say in the plan that you're going to have to drink quite a lot of water, and I wasn't quite quite sure why that would be until I ate the uh, the the meal replacement bar and it was the driest thing I've ever eaten. It actually, like I got one bite and it all the moisture in the mouth was completely gone. And then once you'd finished it, you, all the moisture in your entire body is gone. Like I, I don't quite know how to explain it. It took me a long while That's, to actually recover. like the Jacob's cream cracker challenge, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I think it's one of those things that when you add water, it actually expands in your stomach to stop you feeling hungry. Perhaps. Might well be that, yeah. I mean, it certainly worked. Um, but there you go. So that's uh, I'm targeting two months of it. So that's day one of fifty six. I so might we'll you, I you might be able to help me, Chris, because I actually need to put on weight. So if you could tell me what diet you were on before you started the keto diet, keto diet, then uh, yeah, keto. perhaps it'll do me a favour because I'm I'm a I mean, stone underweight. Yeah, I could definitely sort that out, but you'd have to be very disciplined to follow the handling diet. <laughs> I'll send you. I'll send you my pamphlet. Anyway, let's get talk a bit about some football, shall we? So, uh, first up, as we often do, we like to start talking about the uh, decisions made by Roy Hodgson in terms of the lineup uh, and, and the sort of tactical approach. And we've got to talk a little bit, and we're going to get into the detail around the, the, the sort of the fact that Jeff Schlupp was missing uh, in, in a little bit, but he was obviously the main change, um, certainly the only change in the starting lineup. He was no, he was not in the squad. Uh, and Eber Eze came in, which no surprise if, if Jeff Schlott was not available, Eze was brought in to play on that side of the pitch. So completely understandable. And other than that, Roy's not going to change the winning side, and, and he didn't. But I just want to mention that the obviously the bench did change, and I'll, I'll read the bench out. It was Hennessy, uh, Milivojevic, uh, Max Meyer, Christian Benteke, Mishi Batshuayi, Martin Kelly, and Jairo Riedeveld. So as a, as a bench, first of all, you can look at it in sort of positives and negatives. So first up, that sounds like a, a much stronger bench than we're used to, I would say. Um, you know, we're talking about experienced players. You're talking about players that are pushing for a first-team place. But at the same time, I, I couldn't help but feel a sort of pang of disappointment that there's no almost wild card in there from the academy or something like that. You know, we'd seen J.K. Gordon get on the get on the bench and was, was an interesting player. Kirby got a little bit of game time and... You know, you just you do get that little bit of of excitement if you've got an option like that on. But Roy has, you know, returned to, you know, going with experience where he can, uh, and we perhaps shouldn't be surprised about that. But I just want to get your views on, on on that if I can. I'll start with you, Mike, in terms of, you know, how how do you view Roy's choice of bench? That's interesting. It hadn't crossed my mind 
until you brought that up, until I, until I read the show, Doc, because I'm pretty happy at the moment with the starting 11. I certainly was, you know, for the first 75 minutes, I was happy with the, the side. We've got Mitchell in there. Um, and because of the, the lack, you know, it's, it's, it's harsh to say, but um, the lack of players from the under-23s that have developed that much, um, I could only really think of Pierrick that maybe I'd want in there. Um, so I'm, I, I'm not that surprised. I think that you could turn it the other way and say that um, our problems last year with an ageing squad, at least they've been moved to the bench. Um, I, I don't really, yeah, I, it's an interesting one. And it hadn't really occurred to me, but I, I, I'd like to see in a year or two's time when Category 1, under 23s games, um, you know, really start to bear fruit. Okay, we we got slaughtered by Norwich, didn't we? But um, I'd like, you know, I'd make sure it happened. You know, there was a couple of players on the bench every week, but I'm not sure that's a luxury at the moment. No, but perhaps not. And um, you know, I suppose Nick it is a is kind of a return to type for Roy Hodgson, but perhaps not something worthy of criticising. But I suppose the disappointment is that we don't really have anyone in the academy right now who is pushing for that spot. You know, Mitchell's a, a couple of years out of the academy, very much, um, what is he, tw- I think he's 21, maybe approaching 22. Um, so, you know, it is about the right time for him to be playing in the first team if he has the ability, but can't, it's not really anyone pushing, as Mike says. Well, Heskiff on the preview show was was really um, harping on about, uh, is it Scott Banks? Said he looked mm. an absolute class player, so I was surprised not to see him on the bench. Um, it'll be interesting because now we can watch the under-23 games, we can keep a close eye on it. Um, what got me about the bench was supposedly for a team who are struggling for forwards with um, Benteke and Batshuayi on there, it, it just seemed like we were overloaded with them. And perhaps maybe we should have filled a position earlier. Yeah, it's a, not, a different position in there. Well, yeah, and it's, it's not a bad thought, but I, I mean, you look at Benteke, he's a... 45 minutes prior to this game of, of reserve football. Uh, been out a long time. Um, Batshuayi, as yet, has not forced his way past Jordan Ayew. And so we, we can't really judge how much he's going to add to the team um, in, in this sort of immediacy. But you know, I understand what you're saying. There's options there. You've got to think there's also Wickham in the background if he ever gets fit. And so there's, you know, and obviously the two the two players that played up front as well. So there, there are options there. But I suppose what, what I'd sum it up is, it's, it also shows you that we've got to probably get a few players out, really, haven't we? Let's face it. I think if you, I think I counted up the other day, and there's there's 27 over 21s. I think it is. Um, is Bentake going to play play a major part this season? Is Wickham, you know, um, are any of our perennially injured centre backs going to going to be worth hanging on to, or, or, or you know, do we need to get some of them out? We've got some work to do with that squad. I think, I'm, you know, I'm thinking in, in the fringes, people like probably Ryan Innes is one we'd look and say, 25 years old, actually impressed when he played uh, against Bournemouth. And, but, but you know, we, we've probably got to move him out because we're still in the market for players and albeit our, our seemingly top target is below 21. Um, you know, if, we, if we've got any designs of bringing in, say, a, a Ben Rama, He's, he's 25. We've got to try and find space in him in, in this squad. So, anyway, I just you know that's the general thought when I saw that bench. It didn't didn't include the youth. You know, youngest player on there is is Jairo Riedeveld. Good to see him back. Um, and interestingly, he seems to be above Luka Milivojevic in the hierarchy now because he was brought on. Um, okay, with two minutes to go, but he was the midfielder we went for when when James MacArthur went off, which I thought was interesting. 
But um, Mike, we could sort of take it into your topic really around the, the dilemma of, of Jeffrey Schlupp. So you had some comments in there from, from Roy Hodgson. I don't know if you were able to read them or if you need me to do that for you. I certainly can. So <clears throat> Hodgson said, he, as in Eze, has done well since he's come into the club. His training has been impressive, but of course, Jeffrey Schlupp has had the position, i.e. left midfield, nailed down basically through the good work he did in pre-season. Um, so essentially, the suggestion would be um, that Schlupp would probably have kept his place had he been fit. And I think a, a lot of people would have been happy with that. Um, so Tony Sanders um, has said, this is an unusual predicament that Palace are in. Uh, yeah, true. Being blessed with players uh, to choose from and formations to utilise. I keep wondering if we'd be better 4-2-3-1, even though we have Eze, Zaha, Schlupp, IU Townsend, Bats. Which two do you drop for the four attacking positions? I was probably getting a bit of ahead of ourselves, but um, yeah, it, 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 it's an interesting one. Um, if we, it looks as though we're, we're, we're slightly top heavy, which is crazy considering last season. I think, um, I mean, first of all, the, to address the four two three one, let's not go back to that. It, it stopped working last season. Um, it's nice to have the players to be able to play it, and maybe we will need to employ it at some point this year. But I think the four four two has led to us being more dangerous, and and you know the, the bottom line is, we've talked about it a couple of times this season already. Competition for places, you, you see Eze come in and, and, and play pretty well. Um, so Jeffrey Schlott, when he gets back from injury, if that's next week, it's it's got to be thinking, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get my place back straight away. Um, I suspect he will, knowing Roy, but. I, I'll say for my part, and then I'll let, let Nick have his, have his say on things. Um, I really felt, and as did DR when we did the watch along, that the biggest thing missing from our performance against Man United was Jeffrey Schlupp. Because he brings you slightly different things than, than Eberetri Eze. And I'm not saying Eze doesn't have pace, because he does. He also has trickery. He, he knows how to hold on to the ball really well, plays a sensible pass. It's really instinctive with him. He's a very, very talented player. But what Jeffrey Schlupp had been doing in that position from, as Roy says, from pre-season, was just getting hold of the ball and driving at pace. It wasn't didn't need to trick his way past people. He was just it's basically just kick and run. And when you turn a defence round like that, as we, as we did against Man United, that's where they make mistakes. And we never really did that against Everton. And that's to me, that's what we missed in terms of Jeffrey Schlupp. And you know, personally, I, I, I you know, I know there's lots of praise coming Eze's way, and rightly so. But I think we might have given a better account of ourselves had Jeffrey Schlupp been available. And certainly when you saw Eze go off the pitch and not, and you couldn't bring a Schlupp on, you saw us really, really start to struggle. Yeah, it's, it's kind of... Um, Schlupp's kind of doing what Wilf doesn't do anymore in, in getting the ball wide and, and driving inwards with the ball, as you said. And I, I'm actually thinking that Zaha's a bit more effective in the centre, um, whether he was tired or not when he was moved out wide when we made the subs. I don't know. And there's he doesn't seem to do that. And from, from speaking to QPR mates, Ezzy's better in a kind of cam position anyway. So um, whether we've got space for them both, I don't know. It's it, it's a difficult one because I think Schlupp's more effective at doing what Zaha did three or four seasons ago than, than Zaha is now. Yeah, interesting point. It kind of takes us neatly into the, uh, into the subs chat that you've prepared for us, Mike. And, um, and again, you talked... Um, well, talk, talk us through the subs that were made and, and, and how you felt that impacted the game. 
Well, yeah, to remind everyone, Eze came off for Batshuayi with 15 minutes to go, the classic 75-minute substitution. IU went off, Benteke came on on 82, and Jimmy Mack came off uh, and Jairo came on with two minutes to go. Interestingly, Everton made subs one minute after hours, four minutes after the next one, and at the end of the game. So whether they were counteractive measures, I don't know. Um, But yeah, personally, I felt that once Eze went off, um, the urgency diminished and I don't know if, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think Schlupp would have would have given that urgency. Um, so that possibly means that without the two of them, we're missing it. Um, but I, I honestly don't know um, what those subs possibly offered. So I'm going to, I'm going to assume that they were because of fitness levels um, and that Hodgson knew that these players couldn't last 90 minutes, but it was a little bit worrying because it suddenly looked like Palace of, you know, Project Restart. Um, yeah. Yeah, worried me a lot. I've got to say, and I'll state up front, this isn't me praising Roy last week, but suddenly turning on him and being delighted to do so. But I think people love to talk and argue in extremes. And I think we're perfectly right to, to praise Roy for what was essentially perfect management last week. Uh, but this time out, I think there's some, we, we can query that. I mean, for me, the, that first substitution, Eze off for Batshuayi, was the wrong sub. Um, I think waiting until 75 minutes seemed a little bit unwise to me, but I, I think we needed a change 10 minutes before that, if I'm being blunt. Um, but it, it was screaming out for, if you're going to put Batshuayi on, the, the player who was underperforming, and um, put your hands over your ears, Mike, so you don't hear this, but the player who was underperforming at the time and looking particularly ineffective was Jordan Ayew. Um, so, yeah. it, it, you know, leaving Eze out on the left where he was having a lot of joy, linking up with people pretty well, getting Mishi on, get him on earlier and getting him, get him off for a striker. There was nothing wrong with the system. Well, no, I can, I can quote, um, I can never pronounce this guy's name, but anyway, uh, Bella bite me on Twitter. IU would be one I'd drop. Never looks like scoring, lives off a few he got last year. Nine in the season is moderate. Scores once every six or seven games is not good enough. He'd rapidly falling down the pecking order, in my opinion. He'll soon be keeping the bench warm. Mark my words. Yeah, Mike, you kept yourself together pretty well there, but you're nodding in agreement, Nick. Yeah, what what's really frustrating is the quality of crosses that we were putting in in the first half, at the beginning of the second half. We'd, I think, although he's probably not match fit, but we'd have been a lot more effective if we had. Um, Benteke playing because he would have, I think he would have got on a few of those on the end of a few of those crosses, um, and we'd have had more chances on goal. Um, he, yeah, he's, he a few dribbles for IU, but he's living off the back of that West Ham goal. And okay, granted, he's not trying to do that all the time, and he's looking for an out ball more and more often. But if we're going to put crosses in, at least have somebody in there who can get their head to them. And uh, it was almost like we were playing the. The, the right tactics, but with the wrong players doing it. Well, uh, you, you, you're sort of leading into what I was going to say. So let me let me point a couple of things out there. So Jordan Ayew last season was our player of the year, um, yep. won us critical points and was a very effective striker in a team that created very little and scored very little. So the thing that's changed, it's not necessarily a loss of form for Jordan Ayew, but we've changed the system. 
and Jordan Ayew sort of spearheading the attack with, with Wilf alongside him is a different prospect. He's being asked to do different things. And I think you're right. I don't I don't necessarily think that's going to suit his game. You're going to end up with the Jordan Ayew we had on loan from Swansea before we brought him in because that was the system <laughs> um, that we were sort of trying to work back then. So if anything, we've opened up to a, to a system that makes us more attacking. We've got at least one extra player when we go forward every time. It's not three, it's an attacking four now. We've got a bit more protection uh you know, in front of the defence because the two midfielders really do sit there and, 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 and sort of patrol that line. So th- there's a lot of things that have become positive, but Jordan Ayew is definitely one that's suffering from it. And, you know, for different reasons, I'm not criticising the player, um, but for different reasons, I think that change has to happen. I think, you know, bringing Mishi Batshuayi in, he's not been brought in to sit on the bench and come on in the, what was it, 82nd minute. No, sorry, the 75th minute. Um, that's that's not really his game. That's we're not going to get much out of him that way. Um, but Jordan stayed on the pitch till the eighty second minute when Benteke came on. And again, if you're talking about trying to influence the game, you mentioned it, Nick. We were putting in cross after cross, particularly Andros. He was just getting the ball right foot or left foot, just swinging it in nice and early. But to then stick Benteke on when we're chasing the game and we've lost a bit of momentum because of the previous substitution, all of a sudden Benteke's on the pitch and he's. We're just not really seeing the balls come in. There's a long ball up to him once. I think there was one long diagonal to find him in the penalty area that he headed down. But, you know, that that's a change again. Get that in there early. I think you can probably knock 10 minutes off every one of those substitutions and you've got a chance of changing the game. But when we did make them, way too late. And, and for me, the, the situation with Roy has always been, it's not necessarily what he does, it's what he doesn't do that's always been the frustration for me. And I think in this game... There's loads of things that we need to caveat it with, which I won't go on and on about because we need to move on to, to, to more topics. But we played a very good team who were very, very confident, got some real quality players. And we were unlucky with how we ended up not getting anything from the game. But you look at those moments, there's such fine lines in the Premier League. And those those moments could cost us because we could have done something different. Of course, we could have made those changes earlier and lost the game further. I don't I don't know, but you know, it's very easy to manage your mind. We, we, we should have drawn that game. We were worth the draw in that game. So we're, we're talking about it like like it's a defeat and it was a really, really bad thing. Okay, perhaps we should have stepped it up a bit after the shenanigans with the VAR in the first half. But it's it, it's I'm I'm not that gutty. I'm quite sanguine about losing. It's um it it's not a bad. It wasn't a bad defeat. I think you know the gods conspired against us. So. I'm not going to be too harsh on it because I thought it was, on the whole, a pretty good performance. It, like you said, it, it kind of came apart when Ezzy came off. Look, the performance was all right. Yeah, definitely. I, I put on Twitter and some people agreed with me and some people clearly didn't, which is absolutely fine. I don't think I'm I'm right. I just I just have my view. Um, and I felt that people were over-egging it a little bit as a performance and, and talking about us deserving a draw because I thought we were very much second best in the first half. And whilst we were the better team in the second half, just didn't create, and you, you can't really you can't really argue the case for for you know getting a point or winning or even going on to win it if you don't create. That's my problem with it. But got to agree. So at least for the last 15, 20 minutes, didn't create anything. Um, and going back to those points, I so IU did a lot of the crossing, um, or at least some of the crossing. Um, so we need someone in the box 
I I feel like Brenteke again is is benefiting from being not on the pitch. Um, if he was on the pitch, he's proved time and time again that if if he is in the right place at the right time for those kind of things, inside the six yard box, he is not the finisher that Batshuayi is. You know, Batshuayi use that horrible phrase: "Is the fox in the box?" I use not that. Um, you're totally right that the formations change, so he's not going to benefit in the same way. I see IU as probably playing on the right if if Townsend's injured or hadn't been in the form of his life, which he seems to be right now. Um, you know, if Townsend had been playing like he was last season, I'd, I'd want IU the other side on the right. Um, so I, yeah, totally. I, I, Batshuayi is the one player I'd, I'd trust in that proper proper poacher's position. Ben Teke. Just, I can't see why people are still calling for him to be on. He was on the pitch. There was crosses coming in. He's not the right player for it. After four years, I can't, I can't be bothered with this discussion anymore. Really, to be honest. No, I, I get that. Um, you know, I'm still, I'm still making the case for him that he was brought in on the 82nd minute when we're, oh, yeah. we're chasing, we're chasing the game, and and you know the whole way we were playing, we'd just gone very direct, hadn't we? And obviously, him coming on was part of that. But it's not like you've got to ask a question. If he if he was fully one hundred percent fit and starts that game in place of IU and has those same opportunities um, in terms of crosses into the box, would we be talking about a different story? I don't know. You know, but potentially the evidence. Hodgson wouldn't have he he'd have played the tactics that he played last season. Apparently, you know, as he said at the end of the game last week, still worked really well for him. Uh, you know, he'd be playing, he'd get. Benteke to play with his back to the goal. He's he's not going to play Benteke in that position at any point, unless he has to. No, I'm, I'm probably right. And again, I, I would class Benteke as one of those players we uh, probably need need, uh, need to move on. Um, and talking of needing to move on, Mike, you started with we've sort of talked about this a little bit in terms of the performance itself, but you've you've written the words "too good to lose" with a question mark. What did you mean by that? Well. I'm going to ask, maybe that's that's bad phrasing, but I'm going to ask you both this question. When is the last time, provided that you do think that, when is the last time that you two um, watched us lose but were happy with our performance? As in, I found myself yesterday, despite the fact we'd lost, I thought, proud to be a Palace fan. I thought Roy, Roy had decent tactics for the majority of the game, discussed the end of the game. I thought that the players tried to carry out his plan and we were beaten by a better team. We can get onto the we can get onto the, the handball, but I think you're probably right. Everton were sixty percent, forty percent better than us. Um and I I think if we play like that for the rest of the season, we're gonna beat the majority of sides. So my, I think my real point is in terms of a defeat, I'm not too worried. Well, that's pretty much what you were saying, Nick, wasn't it? And yeah. So I, I guess you go along with that. Yeah, yeah. I think what as they come in off Andidas, I think because he was the kind of the main main glue that, that he was he was sort of leading the play, midfield general kind of thing. Um, but yeah, Everton are a very very good team. Um, one could argue that. Um, the first goal could have been prevented. You know, we, we could have won it. The fact we scored from a corner is is just cause for celebration. 
the fact we're scoring in the first half is cause for celebration. The fact that we have we were playing against a team, and this is what I was worried about, is we were we were we're better against it when we're up against the wall and we can counter attack. But it wasn't that sort of a game, was it? It was we tried to take the game to them, which is good to see. We weren't seeing that last season on the Roy Balls, so it, it is a work in progress. We have got players. You know, Kuate out of position. Actually, I I don't think he's out of position. I think he's in his best position. Um, so, yeah, it's it's good. We were we were undone by a couple of mistakes, a bad VAR, and Everton are a very very good team with a very very good manager, a proven manager. So, you know, we can take heart from it and uh, just move on to next week. Back of the Nest, sponsored by Pitch Sport. Fun time videos, choose your match day squad, post match ratings, and much more. Available to download on the App Store and Google Play. PitchDMM.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. All I've really got to add is that the way the way Everton played against us, you talk there, Nick, about the fact that you know we're we, you know we're better when we're up against it and we're a counter-attacking team. Everton knew that they did their homework. They 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 literally played the kind of antithesis of Manchester United the previous previous week, right? They looked at our the way we broke. And they did two really simple things. And, and the first was, if they could, they'd, they'd commit a little foul as we tried to break. So you'd have someone immediately close to Townsend or immediately close to Eze uh, and just, or, or, or on Zaha. And they're just that little tug back, that little trip, whatever it was, not enough to get a yellow card from a, you know, unless the referee's paying attention, which you know never are. Um, so they did a foul there. But if we did manage to break, you look at the numbers that they got back in those areas. And so if you look down Townsend's side, because he was, you know, absolutely, he's on fire at the moment. He's, you know, he's running past players. He's, you know, he's cutting back, dragging back, using skill, you know, beat, beating players. But they just put, you know, within, within a flash of him breaking, there's three on him. And they're not just trying to, you know, get the ball off him. They're cutting every passing angle. So quite often, the only passing angle we had was to go backwards and try and play back up the other side. Then they've got everyone back. So they played us perfectly to, to negate what we did so well against Man United. That was the biggest thing for me. And you, that's why you have to applaud them. So that, that's the only thing I wanted to add to everything I've already said. 100%. I, I, I totally get that and I, I can see the worry. But I also think that with Eze, um, I'm starting to believe that we can still break teams down even when they do that. It's the fact that 
Everton were very, very good at it. But you know, you just wonder if I don't want I don't want to drive by Burnley, but you know, just as an example, um, would Burnley be able to do that? And I, I do think we would have broken a lot of teams down. And in we were quite unlucky. There were some decent chances. Um, so there are plenty of crosses. Let long may that continue. Um, if Batswai's in there, maybe it'll make a difference. But I, I think if we'd have played that exact same game against most other teams, we'd have still won, even with those tactics, because you, you can plan something, but you can't always execute it. And I think this Everton team will be doing really well this season. Yeah, for sure. Well, no, so we've got to... Sorry, sorry was, uh, what we could have done more of and we didn't was actually shoot, because we know Pickford's a bit iffy. And whether it was because we weren't getting in shooting positions or whether we were passing instead of shooting, I don't know. But we, we should have been having shots on target, even from outside the box. I know Eze a couple of times could have had a shot and made a pass. But, you know, you've got to get yourself in those positions. The other the other thing that I liked a lot was we weren't playing the ball around the back a lot and then passing it back to the keeper. OK, we did it a couple of times, but that seems to have been eradicated quite a lot. Yeah, for sure. And I think you're right to pick out that stat. Those of you watching the video can see it scrolling below us now. That that one shot on target all game. And that, that's pretty criminal in terms of you know the, the ambitions we have in the Premier League. And I, and I talked about this um, on, on Twitter a little bit as well. I think I'm, I'm certainly not critical of performance, but when you look at what how that game panned out and what we had available on the bench to change things... To me, it really does emphasise the fact that we do need that one or those one or two players. You know, definitely another forward option, whether it's a wide forward or a central forward or someone who could do a bit of both. Absolutely, and you know, we definitely need another player pushing on the right hand side or on the left hand side. Either of those works because of the flexibility in in the rest of the squad. So, hundred percent, we you know, I, I I feel that we'd have had a much better chance of, of breaking Everton down if we made another couple of signings. But we've got to get into the um, to the penalty decisions, VAR, all that kind of stuff. And I'm conscious that this discussion could probably go on for maybe five or six hours. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to do... I'm going to try and do a bit of a summary, if I might, in terms of taking us through four separate points and, and, and getting some input from, from you guys. Um, so the four points really are... The rule itself, the handball rule as it's currently being employed, the use of VAR rather than the concept of VAR, um, the, the debate over the position of a, of a player's arms and, and why the current interpretation in the rules is insane. Uh, and then finally, just talking about the fact that they got the, the first decision right, so you know, but they still went and had a look at it. Why do they need to have a look at that, that situation? Uh, and the fact, of course, that... Dominic Calvert-Lewin also handballed in the penalty area. And I'll, I'll say now, that wasn't a penalty, but it was exactly as much of a penalty as Joel Ward's was. So by that same logic, it should have been given. But for some reason, they didn't even review it on VAR. You know, VAR didn't didn't flag it up on the screen. Referee didn't go and have a look at it on the sidelines to, to roll it in or out. So that level of inconsistency is absolutely embarrassing. But first up, guys, look, the, the rule has, has changed. You know, we're, we're seeing a different interpretation of the handball rule. They've come up with um, with, a, with a whole selection of, of ways of justifying it. And I'm going to I'm going to see if I can actually find that because I had that um, I had that to hand. But basically, the, the, the change seems to be around 
um, the sort of intent, the distance, the position of the player. Uh, it, it's you know, it's extremely odd to well, to see. Go on. Whilst you're looking for that, Chris, I've got, I've got what, it. But go on. Oh, but what galled me was the the ward penalty. Um, he wasn't looking. He didn't know that the ball was going to hit him against the hand. That's not when Calvert-Lewin Calvert Lewin did it, he was looking. He he used his arm to help stop the ball a little bit. And all right, he it did. was very similar to what happened to Ward in the one that wasn't the penalty. Well, let I me tell you. Just, just need to sign amputee defenders and then it won't be a problem. <laughs> well, let me, tell you the difference. let me tell you the difference, though. The difference between the Calvert-Lewin one is the distance the ball had to travel. Because it was a shot from what, just outside the area from from Zaha, and he, yeah. he's standing on the six yard box, so he's got time to get his hands out of the way, surely. Yeah. Uh, but let let me get into that a little bit. So, just so everyone's aware, the rules are that it's a handball where the player touches the ball with their hand slash arm when the hand slash arm has made the body unnaturally bigger. So, surely down by your sides makes it unnaturally bigger, right? The hand slash arm is above slash beyond their shoulder level, unless the player deliberately plays the ball with, uh, which touches their hand slash arm. Good, that makes perfect sense. And those above offences apply even if the ball touches a player's hand slash arm directly from the head or body of another player who is close. Interesting, who is close. Uh, and then it says, except for those offences, it is not an offence if the ball touches a player's hand or arm directly from the player's own head or body directly from the head or body of another player who is close. So just, just to clarify, they've said it's those it's a handball if the ball touches a player's hand or arm directly from the head or body of another player who is close. So saying if another player is close and the ball touches their hand or arm directly from the head or body, it's, it is handball. And then lower on they say it's not if it directly touches from the head or body of another player who is close. It's don't, don't understand that? Anyway, uh, if the hand or arm is close to the body, it does not make the body unnaturally bigger. Okay, try defining that. And um, then there's a rule about whether the player falls and they're using their arm to support their body. So clearly, as you like that, absolutely perfect, right? So that's your starting point for the rule that's being looked at at the moment. And that's been given as a reason why Calvert-Lewin's handball didn't get looked at. It's because his hands were right by his side, penguin style, uh, and it just hit that. But of course, of course, he lent into it, didn't he? So... Um, there we are. But here's here's my point, right? Beyond beyond that. So in terms of the use of VAR, they're doing it in slow motion, okay? And that which proves what they're looking for because if they were trying to give the referee on the sidelines, a, you know, a fair look, a, a fair kind of representation of what the decision they've got to make is, they would be showing it in real time because that's how you judge whether or not that that player has the possibility. Um, of, of actually getting his arm out of the way. So let's look at the Joel Ward one. So Google tells me that the average reaction time for a human being to visual stimuli, stimulus is 0.25 seconds, right? So that's 0.25 seconds that you can react to something that you see. Now, that reaction, bear in mind, Joel Ward has, has got to recognise the ball has come off the player's head, recognise the trajectory of that ball and then recognise that it's going to hit it where his arm is, given that his arm is not consciously in the position that it's in. It's just the natural position for his arm to be in. Of course, if you look at it on slow motion, you might argue arms away from body, not natural, but you'd be an idiot if you thought that. And just so you know, I timed it. From the time it hits, 
hits the, uh, the Everton player's head. It is 0.17 seconds. You're dedicated, aren't you? You're oh, really yeah. dedicated. I'm disangry about it. So I'm just making the point. It is actually physically, biologically impossible for Joel Ward to react in any way at all. Because, you know, 0.1 of a second, basically, um, difference between him being able to react and the, and the time he actually had to react. So wherever his arm is... Joel Ward cannot be expected to get it out of the way because it's physically impossible, right? So straight off, you've got, you've got to eliminate the, the, the concept that Joel Ward could move his arm. So all you've got left, all you've got left is the position of that arm. So they've gone with this whole thing in line with the body. So look at Joel Ward, right? He even said it after the game. Joel Ward said they've got to start looking at what players do, you know, when they run, the momentum of the movement. Joel Ward is actually set isn't he he's poised because he knows he's going to need to react the ball's come over he's not going to get there for any kind of a header so he's standing there he's crouched down so he's got knees bent arms out because he's got to go one way or the other depending on where that ball goes so he's not he's done everything he's done is an entirely natural movement so the only way to rectify this in the referee's mind which shows how ridiculous it is is you've got to have referees who become you know motion study experts so they they've studied the motions of footballers in loads of different scenarios and they can immediately recognise whether a movement is natural or unnatural. So, of course, you can't ask a referee to do that. So why don't we just go back to if it's a deliberate handball and it's ball to ball to ha- um, hand to ball, it's a handball. If it's ball to hand, probably not a handball. That'll do it, wouldn't it? Yeah, because otherwise you're just going to get people kicking the ball at people in, and hoping it hits them on the arm. And, you know, last week I, I took the mickey out of Man United fans because it was unjust that we got a penalty. And Mourinho, God knows, he probably went full pingu today after the game, after that handballer, um, you know, lost uh, uh, got him a draw against Newcastle or, or cost him points against Newcastle when the guy is just jumping and it hits his hand. It, it It's plainly ridiculous. And as for the sort of ref going to look at the monitor, is it down to the person at Stockley Park to say, you might want to have a look at this yourself? Thirdly, and I think it was mentioned, might have been one of the people on Match of the Day or it might have been 606 or whatever. Um, but it's when you're looking at it in super slow-mo, it looks a thousand times worse than it is. It looks deliberate because it is in slow motion. Yeah, it does, does, does not look... It takes it in real time. It takes like it, when you watch it in slow motion. It takes what two, three seconds for the ball from the head to the hand. <laughs> right there, Mike. What's going on where you are? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe that's the the guy that the police were looking for, feeding off in the other direction. <laughs> oh dear. What have you, what have you got to add? Uh, you know, I, I apologise for going on a bit of a rant there, um, um, but I've got to add. The fact that it's not VAR's fault. This is a law issue, um, which you've made perfectly clear. Uh, but just for anyone still using the the two terms interchangeably, um, you know. So Neil Morpai's handball f- for Brighton in this round of games wasn't seen and then was seen by VAR. And that's right. And it doesn't matter that it's Brighton. It's a bonus. But that is what it's there for. It's not there for um, 
any of the issues. It's not there for Lindelof. It's not there for Ward. It's not there for the Spurs goal. Um, and it's not going to change anytime soon because the refs have been told to deal with it. So Nick's absolutely right. That people are going to start kicking the ball at people's hands. So we're going to have a situation where all the defenders are going to have their hands behind their back and all of our players will start kicking it at people. All I can see from the plus side is that we've got some pretty damn good attackers to be doing that. So if it starts getting cynical, I back Palace to be probably getting more penalties than we're conceding. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know what else to say. It's ridiculous, but it's going to surely be here for the rest of the season because they can't change the rules middle of the season, can they? I don't think they can. You've got to go back and think, why was VAR bought in? And it was bought in to stop ridiculous things happening, like the wrong player being sent off. It's got so bloody microscopic now that it's taking away the enjoyment of the game. And I'll tell you what, plenty of fans, if they weren't allowed to go to games, would start boycotting the games, I think. because And also, you've got to think, what would have happened at Sellers with that going on if there was a full crowd there? What would have happened at Old Trafford last week if there were 60,000 fans screaming at the unjustness of it all? But, it, you know, the sterile atmosphere kind of gives the refs more... I don't know how that would affect the refs, but it's, it's changed it. That's a debate, Nick. But I think I think you've got to listen to Mike's point in in what you've said there because you've talked about the, the purpose of bringing in VAR. But the annoying thing about this is VAR is is working in the sense that it's representing the rule. So I think I think it was Roy that said that the referee said it wasn't a penalty either, but he had to give it by the letter of the law. Didn't believe it was a penalty, yeah. but. The law tells him and, and the, the authorities tell him that he has to give that as a penalty because the way the law has changed. Now, I still think there's a, an argument about interpretation, but that that thing is not it's, that's not a failure of VAR. It's a failure of who the people using VAR. And that's why I, I made that distinction between VAR as a principle and the use of VAR. I, I just you could get really bogged down. I mean, let, let's face it, you know, on that evidence. VAR is failing because it's, as you, you're getting at, Nick, it's introduced a kind of attention to detail that is completely unwarranted and completely against the game of football. And that's and that's where I land on it. Right now, the rule makers, and the question was asked, who did this? Who's responsible for this? Who made these decisions? Did they talk to any players, any managers, any mm. you know owners of football clubs? Did they say, we're going to bring this rule in are you all right with that? Because you, you you play the game, right? You you guys play the game. You interpret the rules. What do you think a handball is? Would you be happy if this was given against you, you know, rather than given for you? So I really hope that Roy sends the team out against Chelsea, and I, I don't even care if we lose a game, and just says to the players, don't bother about anything other than running to the penalty area, just kicking the ball at the defenders' hands. Just do that all game. If we end up with 15, 16 penalties, great. Because some, then they'll have to do something. Dice is going to do that, don't you? I mean, it, <laughs> that, that's going to happen. So it might as well be us. But. Exactly. But having said that, if they change the rules, because I don't think they can, I think you're right. If they change it now, then Man United will want the game against us replayed. We'd want the game against Everton replayed, or at least chalk off the goals, because then we still beat United, don't we? Or is it? Yeah. yeah, we do. And then we uh, we get a point against Everton. Um, but you saw in, in the game... Uh, Today at the day of recording, we're um, 
where there was one given against Eric Dyer uh, for you know for for not for Tottenham. Who the hell were Tottenham playing? My brain's gone. Newcastle. 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 Thank you. And um, and he's jumped up in the air, sort of moved in the air. He's got his back to the ball and his arms out, trying to give him balance. Strikes his arm. Referee has to give it because of the stupid rule. The arm was above shoulder height. Doesn't matter that he's not looking at the ball. Doesn't matter that you know there was not really. It's not the ball's not really going anywhere. It, it's oh, it's you, just you're gonna have to you're gonna have to jump like like you're flopping like a fish with no with no yeah. arm. Like, <laughs> which is quite exciting. And that does bring me to the, the the one thing I wanted to bring up in the game. I think it was Yari Mina, the Everton player, um, that went for went for the header um, while he was still on the floor. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You're watching the game. Absolutely incredible. Like, I've got, I don't usually give props to the other team, but full on, that is getting involved. That is making sure that you don't concede a goal at the expense of proper brain, brain problems. Like, <laughs> fair enough. It, it sure. did look like a bream in a net, didn't he? The way <laughs> incredible. Um, I do have to say, if the players do start, you know, running out with their arms strapped to their sides. It is a step forward towards Penguin football, which is one of my dreams. <laughs> so, the, um, but I mean, it, it, it happens in the German league. It 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 does. It it's going to become normal within a couple of weeks. They, they're going to do what Wall did for the for the first goal. No, sorry, the first uh, penalty decision. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I do want to get into some analysis of that opening goal because Nick, you mentioned that we probably could have done a bit better and 100% we could. I've given you all a lovely screenshot to look at as I explain this. Um, apologies for the detail, but there were two things I really got stuck into the analysis with pre-show. One was the VAR stuff, as you can tell by me timing the uh, reaction time. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry about that. And then this this one as well, where I've described the goal in its um, in its entirety here. So it was it was actually really poor from Palace and that shouldn't be ignored. Um, so Eze's coming off the left-hand side first and foremost when Everton in possession um, towards Hammers. And you've got James MacArthur in there as well. But James MacArthur is marking nobody. Hammers has got to be his man. But he sees Eze come in and off the wing. And of course, what actually happens is the ball gets switched out into that space that Eze's left. Um, so Eze's left him. He's left Hammers where he is. Mac has already jogged past towards the penalty area. So... It ends up with Coleman playing the ball into the completely unmarked James Rodriguez. He returns the pass to Coleman, who has by this point run beyond Mitchell, whose positioning has been affected by the fact he was trying to mark two people. So they've got him behind us through Eze coming in off the left and MacArthur leaving him to it and then him leaving his man, which was a massive, massive error. As soon as Coleman gets back, Sacco's drawn to him because at the moment Coleman's, Coleman's got in and got the ball at his feet behind Tyrick Mitchell. In the box, there are two Everton players and there are five Palace players. You should not be conceding a goal when you're that, you know, heavily, the number's that heavily in your favour, right? Sacco goes out to try and stop the cross. So that's, that's understandable because Mitchell's been beaten and is struggling to get back. So he's going to try and get out there and stop um, Seamus Coleman. But... Uh, McCarthy is caught ball watching, standing in the box. It's Calvert Lewin's running away from him uh, towards Coyote, but Coyote has also got caught. He's in a decent position, but his head is looking at the ball, not looking at Dominic Calvert Lewin. Ward is is thinking about getting back on the goal line to stop any kind of a chance, rather than getting out to one of the two players in the box. So, all of a sudden, you've got five Palace players in the box. 
effectively marking nobody. And it's it's a terrible, terrible error because the ball across from Coleman's a tiny little cutback. It takes out four Palace players in one move, straight to the feet of Calvert-Lewin. And to top it all off, Calvert-Lewin's finish is, is too close to Guaita. He probably he should be smashing that into the corner. Um, and it just it hits Guaita, but I suppose the pace takes it past him. But as uh, one, one of our contributors did say on Twitter, I won't name him, if it had been another keeper um, who shall not be named who had done that, George Wood he would be yeah George Wood would be sticking sticking the boot in so um, Guaita perhaps has to have to be criticised there. So there's a nice long summary for you, Nick. Views? Yeah, um, I'll start with Guaita. Um, it's not the first mistake he's made this season, but I'll let him off as he had such a good good season last season. Um, Mitchell is still learning the game in the Premier League. He's not adapted as quickly as perhaps maybe one Bissaka did. Um, and who knows? Um, and then as a first first full game, so perhaps he's not in the position. I don't know. They, they switched off and it's the, the whole thing about, remember when you first go up, when you get promoted, you get punished for silly mistakes. And, and that was a classic example of it. Hopefully we'll look at that and we'll be a bit more switched on. Um, was it Ali McCoyst was a commentator who must have said that Mitchell switched off about 67 times. In fact, he said uh, that he'd switched off more times than Ray Lewington said, well done, which I counted out 77 times during the game. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's um, it, it's just one of those things. I, I think of all of them, I, I, Greater, I think, should have parried it out further. That That's my take. Got to, be, got to be honest, Nick, I didn't hear the commentary because I was doing a, a watch-along for Back of the Nest. I don't, didn't, didn't catch that, no? Oh, yeah, perhaps you could tell us about that. Oh, it's, on the, it's on our YouTube channel. Just oh, yeah, back yeah, yeah. On YouTube. Of course, yeah. yeah. But you didn't, you didn't seem to watch that. Mike, you'd have watched that, right? Oh, I did, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I would have watched, if I knew Ali McCoyce was on. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I don't know if you've got anything to add on the goal or you want to take us into the goal that we scored, which was obviously from a set piece. I, I would. My, my worry is... Um, that Hodgson doesn't trust Eze in the same way to, to, to back up as he trusts Luck, which is pro- probably justified. Um, so, unless we see Eze playing central midfield, um, I feel it's going to be a, a battle between the two of them for the rest of the season, um, which is a shame because I'd like to see both of them on the pitch. Um, but more than that, Everton... Give them credit. They destroyed our flanks. We'll, we'll go on to Joe Ward before we finish, I'm sure. But um, they they really did play down the flanks. And obviously, Palace play narrow um, and they expect stuff to come through on the flanks. But the fact that they did it so easily and so spectacularly well seemed to worry the Palace backline uh, for them to make the kind of mistakes that they were making. That's That's... What I could see, I wish I was there because you can't tell from the camera angles that they put on the TV, but that was my impression. They were so stressed. They were such rabbit in headlights from the fact that we were being slayed down both sides um, that mistakes came from that. Sure, sure. No, that, that's, that's a fair point. And I think you're absolutely right um, to point out not only would you think that Roy would, would have some trust issues with Eze's defensive play, but for sure, 
um, it is justified at this moment in time. But that's that's one of the areas that he's he's going to improve on, and I'm sure they would have spoken to him about that before he even joined. Uh, and playing under Roy Hodgson, he won't have any choice but to to learn that side of the game properly. It will make him a more complete player, um, and, and it'll sort of give him that platform, if you like, to go and do the things that he's good at and, and express himself. And um, that you know, just because he, he made a little bit of an error drifting inside there. He wasn't the only one who made an error in that sequence of events. You know, there were several players who could have taken decisive action. You know, and particularly the, the experienced players. You know, the likes of Kuyate getting closer to Calvert Lewin, McCarthy actually marking someone and not watching the ball, MacArthur actually keeping with with James Rodriguez and not just passing him on to to someone who's not close enough to him. All those things you expect more from those players. And I dare say, when they get the video out and do the analysis, they'll be picking up those things as well. Uh, but we did we did score a, a fantastic goal from a corner. Interestingly, Andros Townsend had taken a, a couple of other set plays and he'd gone back post. One of them just went over the top of uh, of Ayu's head. Um, again, not the sort necessarily the player you'd want at the back post to to put in a towering header. And then after that, he put the same ball into the back post where there were no Palace players for about ten yards. Um, and Dr. and I were a little bit baffled about that, but it became obvious what the plan was. He was putting the ball into the area. He was expecting Cuyate to be in, and, and the time Cuyate was in there, uh, he got a, a free header at that back post, towering header into the uh, into the roof of the net, and, um, and, and at that time, it got us out of jail because we weren't playing well. But it was the spark for us to to up our game and to start turning turning things around and worrying Everton with the way that we were playing. Um, great goal, and let's not forget later on in the game he had another opportunity at the back post as well, and just headed it's just the wrong side of the post, clipped the outside of the post, and. You know, he had his head in his hands there because he knew that was a massive, massive chance for us to get an equaliser at the time. So there we go. Um, but but a good goal nonetheless. And um, what do you think, guys? The the set pieces do seem to improve, be improving. Andros Townsend, Townsend taking some good corners. Uh, we've got Eze taking um, free kicks and corners as well, put a couple of decent balls in. And um, James McCarthy as well uh, operating as a, as a corner taker. Well, so mean, are we... It made DR very happy. Um, Kuate, the post-match interview, um, you could see when, when they said, oh, "Okay, your goal was in a losing cause." Massive grin in his face, quickly lost, and said, oh, um, I, I you know, it means nothing when we've lost." But he was clearly over the moon, um, and he talked. Well, he, him and Joe Ward both talked about um, Andros doing that all the time in training. Um, so. Where the fuck was it last season? <laughs> I mean, well, we're, we're, where the fuck has it been? If that happens all the time, um, where has it been? Um, it, it, it was a breath of fresh air, the crosses. It was a breath, breath of fresh air, the set pieces. I'm not quite sure about the free kicks. I think Eze was drifting them in a bit much um, and they needed to be faster for, for my liking. Um, but it, it, it was nice. And, and, you know, it was like two last season. So it's, it's, it's already been two this season, hasn't it? That's, that, that's great. Yeah. Well, who's not taking them? That's the thing. Milivojevic isn't on the pitch to actually take them. Townsend I mean, we're about- them in last season as well. I mean, it, it, it's clearly a different approach. It's, it's not different personnel. Did we actually have anybody to take direct free kicks uh, to actually shoot? Because, you know, we've got PVA usually takes them. Um, I was surprised that we didn't shoot for the free kicks rather than crossing them in. 
Well, I don't know if we necessarily got a decent one to do that. They were all a little bit too far out. But Eze's been brought in for for that reason, to to a point. To well, not just for that reason, but it's one of the uh, one of the strings to his bow, if you like. That he is a a, a proficient set piece taker, and without Luca on the pitch, you know, probably he'd be the one stepping up. And, and PVA as well, as you mentioned, um, he's likely to be the one stepping up to take the direct free kicks. But I don't really think we got a decent enough opportunity for that. Anyway, we've covered the next two bits as, as, as we've talked, so we'll jump straight onto a bit of chat around player performance. Um, and we'll start, Mike, with the man of the match poll, if we might. And um, you've asked the question on Twitter. Well, can I, yeah. So I, we said who was the man of the match for people, uh, gave the options. And <laughs> let's check if these are all right with you, Hamper. Kiwate, Eze, Townsend, or Jimmy Mack? I was struggling a bit for the fourth one. I wasn't sure. Um Thoughts on those choices? I'm fine with those choices. Uh, I'm not gonna, not gonna give you a kicking for those. Uh, <laughs> I noticed you included Kuyate this time, and he he seems to have won the poll there, doesn't it? Doesn't he? So um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've got to say, like um, Sacco. I, I mean, obviously, before when Dan was was captain, it was a bit different. Sacco was solid, um, and I was sort of up in the air about between him and Jimmy Mack. Um, I. I I think people had written off Sacco. We discussed that um, a couple of times already this season and I was very pleasantly surprised with how how well he plays with Kiwate because there's been times where we've discussed that when there's a, another general there next to him, um, Cahill, for example, um, he doesn't seem to do so well. So, and I assume Kiwate is pretty loud, um, but they work well together. But Kiwate was, was out of this world. Obviously, he scored the goal, but... He did so much more than that. Um, he won the poll with 44% of the votes. Eze, 37. Townsend, 15, which is harsh because um, he did great things for the majority of the game. But obviously, he suffers in these things when um, when we do go quiet because he can't do so much. Jimmy Mack with 3%. Uh, I think he deserves a mention. Again, he was... He, he was very strong and I think made up for the fact McCarthy had by far his worst performance of the game. So, your thoughts, gentlemen? Not of the season well, um, the game, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. His, his worst performance <coughs> of the game, yeah. Sorry. So, also, also his best performance of the game, you shouldn't forget that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I I sort of agree with Kiyate, but, um, but, but very much... Um, would say Andros was alongside him. That's all I really have to add to that. Um, I'm, I'm possibly in the minority of people who I've got to choose my words so carefully because he's already loved so much. And but in terms of Eze's performance, I thought there was there was a lot good about it, um, but but there was an element missing as we've talked about already in terms of what Schlupp delivered and what Eze delivered. I think you know he's got so much talent that it's hard not to look at him and think what a player. Um, but some of the, the fundamentals there need work, and that's probably why I, I'm, I'm not singing his praises as much as others. But I, I think he's got a fantastic future for Palace, and the only way he's going to get better is if we play him. So I, I, I really do hope he stays in there more often than not. But um, I just your I, thoughts because um, I was I was thinking that he is a cross between what we were looking for in that game and the kind of Ruben Loftus cheek well. And I actually thought he he struck me at times as a better Reuben Loftus Cheek. Um, I don't know what you thought from that. No, I, I see what you mean. And funnily enough, I thought 
even though he did a lot of good work out on the left, I just thought he looked more comfortable when he did come inside when we were attacking. I just moved into those central areas and yeah, he got a, got a few opportunities to have long range shots and just snatched at them a little bit. There was there was a couple he just tried to hit some spectacular volleys and half volleys from the edge of the area and didn't quite get them right. Um, but he he just looked a lot more dangerous in those central areas, which goes with what QPR fans have been saying, really that he is he is a central player. So if we can get that balance right between between him being out on the left for defensive purposes uh, and being you know being quick to uh, to get out there when he's when he's central when attacking you know if we lose the ball he's got to have it in his head I've got to get out on the left I've got to protect my fullback um, so it just means probably up, up in the work rate a little not that he didn't work hard he did but he's probably got to get that just to just to that next level to be really effective but isn't that so where isn't that where Jeffrey Schlupp kind of got lost when he first started playing for us? He used yeah. to disappear and you weren't quite sure whether he knew meant where he was meant to be. But, I mean, that's another discussion. Um, for me, Eze's debut was the best debut I've seen for a Palace player since Attilio Lombardo. He excited me that much. I, I think he's got a lot, a lot of promise. Sounded like still, still back there. Um, That's exactly I'm, what I'm I really, really excited about him. And I think he's going to be a major player for us. My only worry is he's just going to, because he's so good, we won't see him in a red and blue shirt for that long. Do we need to explain for the YouTube generation who Silla Black was? No. 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 All right. Just That's checking. Surprise, surprise for them when they do look it up. Quick, quick <laughs> extra question on the Eze thing. Do you feel like... Wilf already trusts him so implicitly that there was times when he played the ball to Eze, whereas last season he would have kept it himself. Or am I just reading too much into the game? Hundred percent, hundred percent. He, it's a little bit like a, a brief spell where where Mayo was in the team and Wilf would actually give the ball to him as well, and the two would link straight away. You can see that with Eze, he recognizes that the, that, that Eze has that kind of. You know, just that natural innate ability on the ball, and that for that reason, trust him. You know, implicitly straight away, and um, yeah, great, great observation, Mike. Completely agree. He seems so languid as well, doesn't he? As he doesn't look. Imagine if he he looks like he could step it up a gear all the time. It looks like he's just yeah, I'm here. It's this is easy. Imagine if he, he I don't know how much effort he's putting in. He just makes it look so easy. I think it's just a, a style thing. I don't think there's any. Yeah any lack of effort, but it goes back to what I'm saying, that there will be an extra level of pace, an extra level of speed of thought that he's going to need to develop at the Premier League because it is that much quicker than what he's used to. Um, and as I say, he's just got to play games for that and that will come really quickly because you can see it just comes naturally to him. Just Can I just Let's... ask you a quick question about Kiati? Do you think we should keep him in defence and can Dan or Tompkins or even Cahill push him out of that position? I mean, they've got to get fit first. That's the thing. Well, obviously, they? Um, take take that as well. If they get fit, yeah. do, do we do we keep him there? I think. Let's. I, I mean, I. My gut says that I haven't seen anyone who's currently out play to a level recently that would would get him out of the side. If you know what I mean, but. You know, it'd be a shame for him not to be in the side because if you take him out for, let's say, Cahill gets fit and. You know Roy trusts Cahill, and he's he's a leader. He was superb for us last year. If Sacco's still about, Mike's already talked about the fact that those two don't seem to work together too well. 
Um, but if Tompkins was fit, is Tompkins and Sacco the best partnership again? Or is it Tompkins and Kale? It's so it's so difficult. But the specialist centre-backs, you would probably have to argue, if they come back, they're fully fit and they're on form, they would displace him. You know, Tompkins is a better centre-back than, than Jake Coyote, in my view. Gary Cahill is a better centre-back than Jake Coyote, in my view. But it's not just about that, really, is it? There's, there's so many more factors. One thing's for absolutely sure, he's just not he's not letting us down there at all. And um, has probably saved us a job in trying to desperately get someone new in um, to, to cover these, these absences as well. Let's talk Joel Ward for the last major talking point um, for the uh, for the show, and that is uh, which we've got a message in from Andy Hode. Uh, I'm going to read it, Mike. You can react to it first, seeing as you popped it in here. So Andy said, "I'm concerned about Ward. I love him, but he's starting to tell that he's running out of steam. Whether the handball incident was playing on his mind by the end, I don't know. But that wasn't one of his best performances yesterday." at the time of writing, and maybe Klein should be given a short-term contract. We haven't even talked about that. but So first up, I suppose we've got to get players out before we start talking about Klein, but but Mike, over to you on Joel Ward. I mean, let's leave the Klein issue aside because personally, I absolutely would love Klein to have a short-term contract. Ward, he couldn't win yesterday because, at, at the time of recording, because Everton were absolutely incredible down the flanks. James Rodriguez, you're not going to deal with many players in the Premier League that cause you that much mischief. Um, Walt did everything he could. The only time I really felt that he would be, had been caught short was when um, we'd gone up, I think it was for a corner or it was, it was for a free kick up the pitch. We'd, we'd put far too many people up and then Townsend had to bust the gut to get back because Ward couldn't do it. Obviously, um, legs become an issue then, but he isn't he isn't playing wing-back position. Okay, he got up a lot of times, he, a few crosses, that's an absolute bonus. Um, but essentially... He did what was needed, and I really can't fault him. And people yesterday that said he wasn't, he didn't have a great game. I just thought he was absolutely outplayed by some of the best flank play I've seen in a long time. Um, and it, most weeks he's going to be absolutely fine. Plus the fact that you know we got we got Ferguson in anyway. I mean, Ward's going to be you'd expect be the backup right back anyway. Um, and what better right back could you have than Joel Ward? I, I, I just I can't fault him. It shouldn't have been a penalty anyway. Um, and I thought we had I thought he was one of the better players in the side. Nick, give your view on that, and then I'll wrap up with that. Yeah, I was I was quite impressed with his overlapping as well. He got quite a few good crosses in, and and as Mike said, he, he they were they were bloody good on the wing. So. Um, we can't really go out and get anybody else while we're waiting for, for Ferguson to get fit. So um, it he can be seen as a stopgap and a, a good good sort of filler inner. Um, we need to spend money elsewhere, I think, because we've spent the money on Ferguson. And, and I'm, I'm not convinced by clients. Sorry, Mike. But but the way we took, took him apart when he was playing for Bournemouth a couple of seasons ago, who knows? And plus, if you bring him in, how long is it going to take him to get match fit again? It, you know, you've, you've got that bedding in period. And I think it's just sort of you being a bit of an old romantic, wanting him to come back and do well. It's a bit well, like bringing Andy Johnson back. 
it's a it's slightly different in the fact that Klein's only twenty nine, but and, and I would also say he can cover right back and left back as well. But that's not really what we're debating at the moment. That's you know the the bottom line with Klein is that he's an out of contract player. So you know there's, as long as there's a space to sign him, we can sign him pretty much at any point, really, can't we? So um, and he's got to prove prove that he's up to it. And um, he's had a, a week with Palace, and I think you know he's probably got one more that was originally planned. Uh, and then they'll probably take a look at it. He might get other options in the meantime. But going back to Joel Ward, there was a spell where I, I, I was done with Joel Ward, if I'm completely honest. It wasn't it wasn't a disrespect thing or anything like that. I've always respected, you know, what he's given to Palace. He's, he's our, our longest serving player. Um that was his two hundred and fiftieth game against Everton, which is which is phenomenal, particularly in the in the modern era. Um and as Hodgson said, he's of late, he's been playing probably some of his best stuff. Now it wasn't a spectacular game against Everton. It wasn't. He wasn't brilliant, but as we've talked about, they're a good side, and in particular, having to deal with Richarlison um, is difficult for any fullback, not 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 just Joel Ward. So I have to defend him a little bit, but I would say it's right to point out that his limitations, particularly in the modern game, you know, yet he does a, a, a decent job of getting up and supporting people, and as you said, Nick was on the overlap a couple of occasions. But if you look at the kind of bottom fullbacks, the, the, you know, the top fullbacks, when they get beyond and, and they overlap, you, you know, you, you see something from them. Whereas Joel Ward, he's, he's not got an all, there's not a lot there that he can do. He can get beyond, but it's not particularly great across him. Um, other than a few little moments here and there in his career, he's not really shown the sort of the ability to get past people and play a killer pass. Um, but the, the commitment that he gives, and, and you know, he's not a bad footballer. He's a, he's a very decent player. But he probably, the reason we, we've gone out and got Ferguson is is that we need someone who can contribute more. Not can not only protect that back line, but can get up and down that that side of the pitch, and and you know, be an attacking option. How many times do we see it against us where we've got overlapping fullbacks continuously throughout the game? Everton in particular do that with Coleman and Dean. They're very attacking fullbacks. Um, but they also get back. They've got great engines on them. They get right, right back and left back. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> that accidental punning there. That's your fault, Nick. You made me go that way. Oh, um, but sorry. you know what I mean. It's it's. Um, I think it's a harsh criticism of him at the moment. But at the same time, I get why people are asking the questions. Um, right. Let's uh, let's leave that there. We've covered the general performances of Note Talk Man of the Match. So all that remains to be done is to look a little bit at the week ahead. Uh, and I'm going to throw out some things for you here, guys. So first thing is we are approaching transfer deadline. So it's 5th of October if we're talking between Premier League clubs. But that is extended to the 16th of October if you're dealing with Football League clubs because they essentially asked for an extension of that deadline. Basically, you know, COVID's had an impact and they might need to sell their players. That's the bottom line. So they can... Um, not funny. So if you're... Say again? You're it's laughing. Not it's funny. not funny. Yeah, I was just I was laughing at my inability to explain it properly. Right. Um, <laughs> but, so if you look at our, our two biggest, strongest rumoured targets, um, not saying that, that that's definitely all we're, all we're looking at, but uh, so you've got Brewster, obviously, of Liverpool, and you've got Ben Rama of Brentford. You can you can see obviously that pro, the priority is likely to be Brewster to get that deal done. If indeed we want to get that deal done, it's been um, some back and forth on that and some interesting. You've got, you've got to read read in between the lines and some of that wording. I think 
But that deal is has got to be the top one because if we're still after Ben Rama and it's a deal and we you know we can do both of those deals potentially, then we've got a bit of breathing space. You know, he can continue. I think he was in Brentford's squad the other day. Um, so up until the 16th, we can still do that deal. So if, if there is any movement and you'd expect something next week, hopefully before the Chelsea game, um, then, you know, it, it will most likely be a Premier League player, I would say. And the Premier League player that we're being linked with right now is, is Rian Brewster from Liverpool. I think it's Rian. Everyone says Rian, but I'm pretty sure that Rian is a Welsh girl's name. So I was wondering if it's just a weird spelling of Ryan. Hmm. No idea. Anyway, no idea. Thanks, guys. So that was just a you know a statement. There's not really anything for you guys to add there, really. Um, there's also still a need to bring in some younger players. I think we all recognise that we, we definitely need a centre midfielder in, and it looks like the player we at least tried for earlier in the window is uh, Flynn Downs, who's playing at Ipswich. Um, that won't really be for this season. Um, well, unlikely anyway, if there's, unless there's a bunch of injuries. So Probably not in a rush to get that one done, but you're thinking about next year when a couple of players out of contract, you know, the legs go in a little bit more on on, on Jimmy Mack Senior. Um, so that's a possibility there. And we also probably need a young centre back in. And the one that we've been closely linked with is, of course, our, our Mel Bella Kotchup. Uh, but again, probably no rush to do that one as well. I dare say the Sawloff money might help in some of these. Um, but there you go. So what I'm going to ask you guys is we... As I've mentioned a couple of times in the show today, we've got to get some players out the door. We've probably got, in order to do the business that we want to do, we've probably got to get rid of get rid of three, maybe four players. Off the top of your heads, starting with you, Nick, because you look poised and ready. Uh, who's the who's, who's the names that stick out to you that we got to get out the door? This is going to upset a lot of people, but I think we should lose Luca while we can still get something for him. I I I'm. Not sure what what he's adding. That face said it all there, Chris. That was great. Um, I don't know. It's, I I I just don't. I'm not feeling it for him at the moment, and I I don't think he's been that great. Um, as I think Terence alluded on the preview podcast, you know, his his charm is a, a kind of misnomered one because he's too nice. Um, and again, Maya, are we going to use Maya or not? Because he's a fantastic player. But if you're not going to use him, what's the point of having him? And again, we, we need to get money in. Um, like we said, with, with the COVID situation, all clubs are going to struggle. So we need to get get the cash in. As for a third player, I'm not too sure. Let me have a think on that one. All right. Well, we'll switch over to Mike. And Mike, dare I throw a couple of names at you? Uh, well, one name specifically at you, Yaroslav Yaroslav Yak. <laughs> he's got back an extension. He's going nowhere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think you're probably right. He turned me around a couple of episodes ago. Uh, Ryan Innes, um, you know, apparently Northampton are keen. I think it's Northampton, um, and obviously because of his age, that would be a slot. Wickham, old breadstick legs. Um, I, I really don't see the advantage of keeping him other than we haven't got enough strikers, but put Scott down up there. I mean, it's not gonna, it, he's not going to play any games. And I, just that in terms of getting 65 grand or whatever it is off the wages, hopefully Benteke will resurrect his career over in Belgium. Um, that would be free for me. 
Well, there we go. So there's, it does seem that, you know, if you put all those together, there are plenty of options. And I'll say on your choices there, Nick, I, I'm not completely averse to the idea of Luca. I think it'd be a bit of a shock and I think it might affect the team because he is well respected as a captain, but there's, there's no doubt that the performance level has dropped. I've defended him a hell of a lot and I'll continue to do so because I felt he was very much made a scapegoat of a very, very poor team and a very, very poor system last year. You know, everybody was 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 not in form. You know, even our, our talisman was in poor form last year. So I think it's really harsh to judge him on that. But at the same time, you know, he has got to step up a level. And if, if he's currently being kept out of the side by McCarthy and MacArthur, despite being club captain, that shows you that Roy agrees. Um, and he is he is a player with a, with a value to him. And you pick out Max Mayer, again, I'm a massive fan of his. I feel very sorry that he's not being used in the way he probably should have been. But by the same token, as you say, if we're not going to use him and he's in the final year of his contract, um, if, the, if there is a, a taker for him, we've probably got to try and find it. But will he will he want to leave or will he want to run down that deal and get the best possible option for himself? Um, who knows? Uh, but we certainly won't want him to, to run down that deal. So if no one takes him, we're probably going to have to stick another year on his deal. Not that he earns anywhere near as much as people think he does. Neither does Benteke. It drives me mad. Oh, Benteke's probably... I think every time someone talks about Benteke, they add another 10 grand to his wages. I think he's on about 500 grand a week by now. But um, he took a... You know, obviously took a pay cut when he when he extended his contract. And uh, there we are. So, anyway, uh, last little bit, guys. We're not going to preview it because that's for the preview podcast who will be recording either Wednesday or Thursday this coming week. Uh, make sure you've subscribed on a podcast app to get um, to get that show. And they'll look ahead to the Chelsea game. But I just want a quick opinion from you all. Starting with you, Nick, because you made a weird face and I don't know if someone was bugging you. Uh, got a score prediction for Chelsea? I Well, I, I kind of half-watched the game yesterday and it depends what half of that game yesterday you saw, doesn't it? Um, I've, I, I don't think we'll win. I think it'll be close. I think we'll lose 2-1. Okay, Mike, how how are you feeling about it? Uh, I'm more confident than I was before the Everton game. I'm going to go score a draw, one all. Okay, well, I think, and I'm, I'm I've got actually, I'm pretty positive about it. But let me give you a, a quick rundown of what's happened this season. I predicted defeats in the first two games, and we won them. I predicted a win against Everton, and we lost. So, what do I have to do here? For everybody's benefit, I have to predict a defeat. 3 0 Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> so there we are. Nice. Right, that's your lot. That's just your lot for today. Uh, thanks for listening slash watching. Uh, special thanks to all of those who've got in touch. Thank you very much for that. We used all of your comments to help shape the show. Thanks to my panel, Mike and Nick, and to Mikey for producing. Uh, do make sure you subscribe to the podcast to get the preview show. Uh, like and subscribe on the YouTube channel. Uh, down, download the Pitch Sport Football app. Uh, do make sure that you find us on all social media platforms by searching for Back of the Nest. And until next time, come on, you palace. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.